This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Talking about the gifts of Christmas, and today we talk about the gift of love. I want to read for us this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, one of the greatest stories about love you could ever read about, and yet the word love never appears. I just want to invite you, after that amazing song that we just heard, um, in respect and in appreciation for the good news of Jesus, if you're able to stand with me for the reading of these words of Scripture. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. You may have a seat. A couple of weeks ago, I was flipping through the radio channels and came across Alice's talk show which is syndicated national version, I am told. And the, the radio hosts were calling Frank. Frank answered the phone, hello. Frank was at work, and the radio host said, Frank, congratulations, you just won a dozen roses. And he wonders what's going on here. Yes, from a florist, you've won a dozen roses. And we're wondering if there's someone special in your life that you would like to send them to. Now, uh, Frank is a little slow on the take, and so, but finally he just says, well, you can send it to my wife. Well, what do you want on the card, Frank? The card. You can tell Frank is not a romantic. And then he finally says, well, just write Cindy. I want you to invite, uh, to send it to Cindy. Who's Cindy? Cindy's my wife. Just say, Cindy, love Frank. And so at that moment, something happens that I didn't see coming, that Frank didn't see coming, but Cindy gets on the line. And Cindy says, Frank, you're sending me the flowers. I thought you were cheating on me. I thought you were going to send the flowers to somebody else. I thought because you never come home till late at night, because you never show me affection, I thought you were cheating on me. And what happens then in that moment, the next few seconds, actually, reality sets in. Frank realizes it's a setup. And Cindy's and the radio station are in cahoots. And they've designed this moment, a gotcha moment, where they think Frank has been unfaithful to Cindy. It's at that moment that I just flipped the channel because I'd, I'd heard enough. 
and it raises in my spirit the question, what is it in our culture, what is it about us that tends to like to destroy people or to castigate their character or to, to bring people down? If, if your spouse or your fiancé or your significant other was cheating on you or you thought they were cheating on you, what would you do? How would you confront that? Would you go to talk radio? Would you uh, try to get on Jerry Springer? Uh, would you just do the social media outlet? How would you handle that? Well, in the gospel story that we just read, we read how Joseph handled it. Now, Joseph has got the goods on Mary, so he thinks. Mary's pregnant, and they've not slept together. So what would you think? Joseph thinks Mary's been unfaithful to him. And the religious law, ah, oh, it's tough. The religious, the religious law of the day, the law of Moses, really said she could be stoned, stoned to death. It might have been mitigated a little bit where really, usually they were just publicly humiliated in a very severe way. But Joseph decides not to do all that. And the Scripture tells us why. Did you notice? Because Joseph was a righteous man. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her privately because Joseph was a righteous man. When you think of the word righteous, what do you think of? You might think of someone that's got integrity, someone that keeps her word, someone that doesn't take a bribe. And that's a good, those are good qualities, right? But Joseph's righteousness goes beyond that. His righteousness is a righteousness that cares and loves and is compassionate even toward the one who he feels like has betrayed him. It's the kind of righteousness that when you're injured, you pardon. When you've been hurt, you don't hurt back. That's the kind of righteousness that the world really is in need of. That's the kind of righteousness that Joseph had, the guy that raised the Son of God. Now, of course, Joseph is informed otherwise. And Joseph has the privilege of naming the baby Jesus because he's designed to save his people from their sins. And Jesus comes to this earth to do exactly that. He comes to save us from the sins and the patterns and the abuse and the injury and the trespasses and the hurts that we do to each other. Jesus didn't come just to forgive us of our sins. He comes to free us of all that and enter into a blessed life, a life of love that changes our hearts. Now, I'm going to say something that may seem rather strange and coming from my lips, but I think uh, religion in many times and many places in the world is a really bad thing. Religion is not necessarily a good thing at all. Religion has created a lot of problems as well as done a lot of good in the world. And we're living in a time where we need to figure out 
is the answer to the world's problems religion, legalistic religion, rigid religion, the kind of religion that's described as radicalized religion. Do we need more of that? Or do we need a relationship? A relationship with God. You know, we, we live in a time where we're trying to sort this out as a people. Some suggest that Muslims should no longer be allowed in the United States because of the havoc that's being created by those who are radicalized. And we know and believe that most Muslims are as peace-loving and very highly moral people. We also recognize that the term radicalized is not a favorable term, and it speaks to the reality of what some make a conservative estimate that about 3% of Muslims are radicalized in the sense of desiring to do violence in the name of Allah. So how do we wrestle with that in the world? What is the Christian response to all this? What would it mean for you and I to become a radical Christian? What, what would a radical Christ follower look like? Would that be a good thing? Well, getting down to the radical root, and radical means going to the root, right? It's going to the root, to the essence. K.J. talked about how wonderful it is to be able to sing words that have been around a thousand years. The words of Jesus what does it mean to radically follow Jesus? What's the very essence of what Jesus says? Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What does a radical Christian look like? But someone that is filled with love. Someone that is filled with a sense of hope and peace and forgiveness and pardon. So how radicalized are we this morning? Pastor uh, Jim Mason leads our pastoral care area in our church, and he's a part of uh, clinical pastoral education, and he's learning more about how to serve in this capacity. And he's told that as they serve as chaplains in the hospital, one of the ways in which they've been coached and one way that's effective is that many times as a chaplain, you walk into the hospital room and your identity is very much uh, exposed, and the patient oftentimes says, well, I'm not really into religion. And what they say is, well, we're not into religion either. But we care about people, and we care about you. Now, if you want to get radical about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that's not a bad, that's not a bad line. We care about people, and we care about you. That's radical. Pope Francis this week stood before the bronze door of St. Peter's. St. Peter's bronze doors are only opened on rare years. The last time they were opened was the year 2000 by Pope John Paul II. 
But Pope Francis has declared a special year, this new Christian year, the year of mercy. And Pope Francis says that the church needs to open up, open up its doors as field hospitals for injured souls. I love that. If you want to get a good view of what the church is about, we are a field hospital for injured souls. And he says that too many times what's happened in the church is that how much wrong we do to God and His grace when we speak of sins being punished by His judgment before we speak of their being forgiven by His mercy. We have to put mercy before judgment. And in any event, God's judgment will always be in the light of His mercy. Mercy trumps judgment. That's pretty radical. What would your life look like, my life look like, if we lived like that toward each other? My father uh, was a good moral man. And yet he felt like in many ways that his life was, was cursed. He was physically abused by his own father. Completing the eighth grade of school, he went and worked in the coal mines. He went on and fought in World War II. He came home, he raised a family, he got married. His first child died at the age of 19 months. And many times as a child, I would see this hardworking, moral, good man who was honest as the day is long, struggle, though, with having a sense of peace or love. Now, you understand, he never laid a hand on me or us kids. But somehow, he, he wasn't able to break free and feel accepted. And as a child, I would hear him often say, my damned life my damned life. You ever feel like your life's been cursed? That's a really strong word, isn't it? But chances are sometime in your life or someone in your life feels like their life is cursed. By that I mean they feel like they're, they're, they just can't catch a break. That relationships are too hard and they need to be. And so in the midst of, of dad's pain, I was trying to understand what that was like as a child. And what I've come to realize looking back is my father was looking for something that we're all looking for. He was looking for his father's blessing. And he lived life with his father's, the father wound of being wounded by a parent, by, by being wounded by his father. Many of us have been wounded in life. What do we do with that wound? What do we do with that rejection? What do we do with that curse? Are you familiar with the, the wound that you may be carrying in your spirit, in your heart, that, that keeps you from opening yourself up to the love and the presence of God in your life? You know, Scripture tells us that God created everything good. And when He created you, when He created me, when he created human beings, he, he pronounced us good. 
And yet we also know that in Scripture we're told that what God has created as good has been cursed. That isn't it true, the world, you just sense the world is an agony, that this world is not the way it's supposed to be? I mean, the ground has been cursed by thorns, right? You just leave. You ever worked with thorns before? Um, men are cursed in the sense of hard work and the sweat of the brow is the old traditional language. Women are cursed because men rule over them. Sometimes uh, pastors get it wrong. They teach that that's uh, God's blessing. That's not a blessing. That's a curse, right, women? Uh, we live in a world that many times men rule over. It's a man's world. That's a curse. And the snake crawls around on his belly. That was a curse. You ever seen a snake smile? Never seen a serpent with a smile on his face. That's, that's strong language, isn't it? But before we can realize what Jesus Christ has done for us, we, we have to wrestle with the understanding that there, there's a curse that's been placed on the world, and it's not from God, but it's a reality of what has happened to all of us. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he has come to break the curse. I love the carol, Joy to the World. And the third verse says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He came to make his blessings known, far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Jesus has come to bless us and to restore us in, into God's blessing. Now, the words of Scripture today that speak to the way that Jesus moves us and becomes the curse for us is found in Galatians chapter 3. They're the words of the Apostle Paul to the first century Christians. And the Galatians, the Christians, were already being confused about the gospel. They were falling back to this legalistic religious mindset, this whole idea that they followed a moral code or they followed the law of Moses, that that was the way in which they were going to get God to accept them. And so we read these words. So those now who live by faith are blessed along with Abraham, who lived by faith. This is no new doctrine. And that means that anyone who tries to live by his own effort, independent of God, is doomed to failure. It was what my father tried to do, live independently from God, live a good, moral, straight life, but never being able to find love and acceptance in his own heart. Scripture backs us up. Utterly cursed is every person who fails to carry out every detail written in the book of the law. The obvious impossibility of carrying out such a moral program should make it plain that no one can sustain a relationship with God that way. No matter how religious we try to be, we cannot do this on our own. We cannot have our heart and our love transformed except by the touch of God in our own life. But here's the good news. The person who lives in right relationship with God does it by embracing what God arranges for him. Doing things for God is the opposite of entering into what God does for you. See, religion is talking about what we do for God. But the good news, the, the radical understanding of following Jesus 
is recognizing what Jesus has done for us and is doing for us. Religion is about what we accomplish or we do for God to earn our way or our salvation, to get accepted. But faith in Jesus Christ is recognizing that he has come not to condemn us, but to save us. And he's come to extend mercy to us and to reverse the curse that's been put on us and giving us blessing. And how does he do it? Habakkuk had it right. The person who believes God is set right by God, and that's real life. Believing and faith in God, in Jesus Christ, in what he has done for us and who he is for us. But rule-keeping does not naturally evolve into living by faith, but only perpetuates itself in more and more rule-keeping. In fact, observed in Scripture, the one who does these things, this rule-keeping, continues to live by them. But Jesus Christ has come to set us free. Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself Do you remember the scripture that says, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree? What does the word redeemed mean? In slavery, in the days of Jesus, an owner would purchase a slave and then they would set them free. That's purchasing a person, a human being that was property and they're set free. Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the law of trying to be a good moral person. Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the idea that we have to be good and better and better to be accepted by God. Jesus Christ has delivered us and redeemed us from the idea that we are never good enough. Jesus Christ has obliterated all that. He's removed the curse. How did he do it? This is what happened When Jesus was nailed to the cross, he became a curse. And at that same time, he dissolved the curse. Jesus Christ did not come into this world to expose anyone or to disgrace anyone or to condemn anyone. But Jesus Christ, instead of putting us to the open shame, was willing to be put into the open shame himself. And he was stripped naked and crucified on a cruel cross as a common criminal. Becoming the curse for us. And now because of that, the air is cleared. And we can see that Abraham's blessing is present and available to non-Jews too. We are all able to receive God's life. We're all able to receive God's life. His spirit, his spirit living in us, in and with us by believing just the way Abraham received it. When my father was dying at the age of 80 in the hospital, he was going in and out of kind of like a coma-like state. This man who uh, had never been able to come to peace or the idea that God was there for him, or that God loved him, or that God believed in him. And he opens his eyes just a couple days before he dies. And mom is there, and my brother is there, and my sister is there. 
And all he says is, I want to receive Christ. And we know that in that very moment, he did. The prayer was prayed, but the reality was it happened. And friends, none of us, you or anyone that you love and you care about in this world, has to wait until they're 80 years old or wait until they die or about to die to experience the blessing and the love and the presence of God, to realize that God is for us, not against us. And that love is a gift that we never earn, we don't deserve, but it's given freely to us. But some of us have been wounded so much or rejected so much or injured so much or judged so much, it's difficult for us to really believe it. And with all that I can say to you this morning is receive the gift. Receive the blessing. Receive the gift of Jesus. And become very radical, those of you who know and love Jesus. Become very radicalized in your faith. And that you're filled with the love of God. And you love your neighbor as you love yourself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone, everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He came to save the world. By this we know love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he gave himself to be a propitiation, a substitution for our sins, and not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Receive the gift. Receive the gift of love. And as we receive the gift of love, God's love is poured into our hearts. And what I want to end with today is looking at some scripture from 1 Corinthians 13, the message. Because the message, uh, the, the 1 Corinthians 13 wasn't just written for weddings, by the way. Um, but there's this description of what love is like. And I'm going to read what love is. Then I'm going to read what Jesus is. And then I want you to read with me and say with me, we are this too. This is what it means to become radicalized in the love of God. The scripture says that love never gives up. Jesus never gives up. We never give up. Scripture says that love cares more for others than for self. Jesus cares more for others than for self. We care for others more than self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Jesus doesn't want what he doesn't have. We don't want what we don't have. Love doesn't strut. Jesus doesn't strut. We don't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Jesus doesn't have a swelled head. We don't have swelled heads. Love doesn't force itself on others. Jesus never forces himself on others. 
We don't force ourselves on others. Love isn't always me first. Jesus wasn't about me first. We aren't me first. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Jesus doesn't fly off the handle. We don't fly off the handle. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Jesus doesn't keep score of the sins of others. We don't keep score of the sins of others. Love doesn't revel when others grovel. Jesus doesn't revel when others grovel. We don't revel when others grovel. Love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Jesus takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. We take pleasure in the flowering of truth. I can't hear you. Love puts up with anything. Jesus puts up with anything. We put up with anything. Love trusts God always. Jesus trusts God always. We trust God always. Love always looks for the best. Jesus always looks for the best. We always look for the best. Love never looks back. Jesus never looks back. We never look back. Love keeps going to the end. Jesus keeps going to the end. We keep going to the end. The world does not need more religion. The world needs Jesus. And Jesus needs radical followers who get down to the business of receiving by grace the love of God knowing that it is a blessing that all of us can live into, that all that we can have, renouncing the curses of whatever's been placed on us, giving that all up. You know what your curse is? My curse was rejection. I felt rejected for 30-some years. I was so much wounded by the curse of rejection. When I asked my wife to marry me, all I could say is, if I was asking you to marry me, I was so fearful of rejection. The wound of the curse is something we all carry. But Jesus Christ has come, and we, in the power of Jesus Christ, can renounce the curse. And we can open up ourselves to the gift of the Holy Spirit to be fully forgiven, to be fully pardoned, and to be filled with the love of God. All we got to do is get radical about it. 